place it comfortably. Good evening, everyone. I wanted to talk tonight about um, resentment and revenge and where it fits into in terms of Dharma practice is one of the Zen precepts is to um, not indulge in anger. Or the, the, the words I like the best from um, Norman Fisher, um, no harbouring of anger. And I think that resentment and its consequent acting out into revenge is a form of the, um, the harbouring of anger. And um, I've been inspired yet again by um, uh, reading uh, Jordan Peterson's book on the 12 rules of life, which I've finished now. Um, it's not the easiest book to read, but I found it very rich. And uh, Jordan, and I've read a, an autobiography of his in a, another book, and when he was a young man and he was searching for his own meaning in life and reading a lot as a young intellectual, one of the things that really um, disturbed him deeply and seems to have um, set him on the course of a lot of his aspirations in life is when he read about the Holocaust and read about how Marxism became Stalinism with the murder of millions of people and the torture of millions of people and um, various other um, atrocities, you know, that happened to human beings. You know, it's like his koan, it's kind of like his personal koan. How, how could this happen? Like, what is, what is it about human beings and the way we think and so on? that we could possibly do that. No other animals torture other animals, you know, or murder them out of revenge or whatever. They do it to survive. But what is it in human nature um, that, that this can occur? And uh, he... Uh, I haven't read this book, um, but it's on my list to, to read it after reading him, a book that was around many years ago by um, Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn which was called the Gulag Archipelago. And he was a writer who was in Siberia and, you know, in forced labour camps. And he really exposed the whole horror um, of that regime. And um, it was a, an example of how great literature can actually tra transform, you know, the political scene. So I suppose um, uh, Jordan Peterson, as well as people who take up Zen practice and Buddhist practice, look into these same questions, do you know, about how, how anger can turn into resentment and turn into revenge. And I think some of the points he makes, and I want to bring it not just to the political but to the personal as well, but some of the points he makes is that a lot of um, writers of that age, like George Orwell and so on, make comments that people like in the, the French Revolution, um, with various revolutions, like Russian Revolution and so on, um, he, the, the comments that were made, they seem to be motivated by a hate for the rich rather than a love for the poor. And I think that theme runs through a lot of, a lot of different history. A lot of people in the, in the French Revolution, a lot of um, uh, English prominent people like William Wordsworth were very supportive of the French, you know, in this fight for liberty. And then when they saw the mob rule that took over and the blood, the bloodthirstiness of the horrified of it and, you know, wanted to disconnect with it, 
Um, but the, it seems like collectively and individually that we're all capable um, of resentment and revenge. And um, I think it's important to look at it, not just in terms of politics, but in our own personal lives and relationships, is when uh, resentment arises and what we do with it. Now, as you know from my previous talks, I'm, I'm not of the persuasion of being a, of, uh, being a Buddhist doormat, you know, that the whole, the whole idea of dealing with anger is to relinquish and always to let go. Sometimes the most skillful thing is that when we feel a sense of anger about something is to actually address it, you know, and to challenge things. It's not necessarily the Buddhist way just to let it all go and relinquish and turn the other cheek, etc. You know, um, that's not necessarily the Buddhist way. And sometimes the way that people harbour um, anger and it turns into resentment is to, like, for example, to play out the role of being a martyr. And you play out the role of, the role of being a martyr and you don't get your own healthy needs met and you see other people around you getting their needs met and then you get resentful about it. You know, and then you, then, you, then you burst out with a lot of inappropriate anger and so on as a way of, of dealing with it. That's one example of it. And what would be good for someone who's actually playing that martyr role is actually to learn to be more assertive, right? And not to necessarily take on sacrificing everything they do for other people. We don't even appreciate it. It's not good for them, it's not good for the people around them. But there are also times where in our life um, where we recognise that life isn't fair and not everyone is equal in terms of being born into wealth or whatever it might be or privilege or whatever. And... Um, and our practice is to accept that that's the way life is. It's just not fair. Mm -hmm. And it probably never will be entirely. And if we're looking for a world, if we're, our Buddhist utopia is a world where um, everything is fair, um, well, I think you're going to be very disappointed. Mm -hmm. It'll be a long, long, long time before you get to Nirvana, <laughs> if you ever get there at all. So, I think when we discern as to what is just um, reasonable anger that motivates us to, to be more assertive and address things, and what is just resentment um, with an outcome of revenge, is to focus on what actually is the outcome we're looking for. If an outcome we're looking for um, when we're angry about something is actually to punish someone else and and at some level to have a a sense of uh, sadistic pleasure in their punishment I think we're on the wrong track uh -huh. that if we uh, when we start to focus on what our what what is our desired outcome it gives us an insight into what our motivation is and that motivation would come from resentment you know and then a, a need for revenge um, but if, our, if our, our desired outcome is something which reduces suffering and causes some kind of uh, sense of well-being or happiness for, for everyone, then we can sense that we're on, on the, the right track. And to give an example from my work that I do, where I do a lot of couple therapy, over 40 years of doing 
couple therapy, I don't know how many times I've, I've heard of, um, you know, people coming in where, where the discovery of an affair, right, is the presenting problem which has triggered people to come into therapy. It must be in the thousands, right? From both sexes too, where, where it's been one or the other, you know, um, there's, that has been the one having the affair. And of, of course it, it, it causes um, enormous pain, you know, and a sense of betrayal in relationships frequently. But one of the things I've observed, and I'm not condoning affairs by any means, but one of the things that I've, I've observed is that some, sometimes the punishment is worse than the crime. And someone has discovered the other one had, had an affair, they never let it go, they're always attacking for the next 20 years, they might be like that. And um, uh, if that occurs, you know, over such a long period of time, um, by, by holding on to a resentment and by um, acting out of that resentment to be attacking and so on, it serves a purpose. And that purpose is to never be vulnerable again. I've been hurt, I've been wounded, I'm not going to allow myself to be vulnerable again, so I'll use my anger and all my intellectual firepower to, to make sure that vulnerability never occurs again. And of course that will destroy a marriage. Mm-hmm. will never be any good again for anyone. A kind of pyrrhic victory. But if, on the, on the um, other hand, the outcome of both people is to develop um, a deeper marriage, a deeper sense of in- intimacy and love, you know, and trust, and that's the motivation driving it, well, that's a, that's a whole different matter. And anger could come into that, you know, as a way of trying to get that to happen. Um, but it's using anger in a very, very different way um, to when it's just um, being harboured there as resentment. And as Jordan Peterson says in his book, and I think um, what he invites us to do, and I think as uh, particularly teachers like my teacher, Joko, invited us to do, is to, is to really be clear about when we're holding a resentment, do you know, which, which is has its desire some, some sadistic punishment of the other who has hurt us and, and whether we feed it and whether we hide it behind virtue. Hmm. Um, Joko had, looking back on her talks, she gave this talk quite a number of times at a particular uh, point in her teachings and it's something you can never forget. It's, it's quite graphic language. But she referred to um, certain types of virtue as slimy virtue. Now, it's a term you would probably never forget once you've heard it. But that's what she was referring to. It's actually having a motivation of resentment and it's hidden behind some kind of virtuous intent, you know, that you want equality or whatever. But the way it comes out is actually destructive. And when I look back, when I was younger, I used to be... um, actively involved in politics, more particularly in, in the peace movement. And in, in going to rallies, I remember there was a point, I'm pretty sure it was Hyde Park, where I decided I'm not going, I'm not going to these anymore. Because rally after rally, and speaker after speaker, was there talking about peace and talking hate. And there was so much hate towards the you know, current political figures at the time, it seemed like the motivation was to kick this person out of office or get rid of them 
it didn't seem like there was any in the in the manner in which the speech was was made by many people there didn't seem like there was a peaceful message in there at all and contrast that with someone like Tikhnat Khan for example and many other figures we could we could think of um, who by their demeanour and by their language and by their speech um, indicate that they're genuinely interested in, in peace, not attacking people with views different from their own. But in conclusion, we can see it played out in the political sphere and the public sphere, and that's important to understand that, but it's um, also important for us to see how it can get played out in our personal lives as well. Well, we get some fun topics to get our teeth into, don't we? <laughs> okay, thank you, everyone.